Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Jalen Avila, and I am joined by the wonderful Dr. Michael Pratz. Always a pleasure, Jalen, and have to say, really digging that new name. Thanks so much. Uh, I also like it and uh, very excited with uh, changes as well as a couple of like really fun like articles. We're going to do our case and we're going to go into one that honestly I've I didn't even know about. So we'll get into it. Our case, our first kind of case is entitled point of care ultrasound assessment of a swollen limb following snake bite and venomation an adjunct to avoid fasciotomy. This one is uh, able to be found on the Googles at the South African Journal of Surgery. And this one's amazing. So they have a puff adder bite to the wrist. And I do not know what a puff adder is, but it sounds like it's a snake. Um, received the anti-venom and got some serial exams as well. Because, you know, like you always want to check these things can progress. That's a big complication for any um, snake bite injuries is, you know, you get so much swelling that you get compartment syndrome. And then they actually use their ultrasound to look look at each of the compartments of the arm to see if there was any compartment syndrome. And what they did was, and it's smart, they actually just compared the size of the subcutaneous tissue from one side to the other to see that most of the swelling, was it in the muscle? That's where, you know, compartment syndrome really happens or is in the subcutaneous tissue. They also looked at blood flow through the vessels and that helped them even with some pretty severe swelling. It helped them not do a fasciotomy, which, you know, it, it probably wouldn't have caused that much harm as long as they don't cause an infection. But it seems like that would be pretty painful and pretty uncomfortable with a patient and cosmetically not the right thing if they didn't need it. So this is amazing. This is like a case study. And I will say that one of the things that I always think about is how we can assess for compartment syndrome using ultrasound. And it's nice that there is something that is contributing to the uh, literature on this topic. Really cool stuff. And I guess the take home is stay away from puff adders. But if you happen to be around one, maybe you can take a look at that subcute tissue and avoid a, a fasciotomy. I love it. I think that's a great idea and I 100% agree. Now on to our article, which is almost just as zany a topic. It is titled, Ultrasonography is an effective tool for the evaluation of traumatic vertebral artery injuries distal to fourth cervical vertebra in the emergency room. Published, BMC, Musculoskeletal Disorders, April 2023. And this study is out of Japan. Now, Jalen, can I tell you a little story about ultrasound and vertebral arteries? Because this one's near and dear to my heart. Yeah, please. Obviously, it's within the realm of experience. Like, I've seen them and, you know, we've, Mike, you've been helping me with a sonoanatomy course that we're working on for core ultrasound. And uh, the model that we use had a great vertebral artery, right? It's able to be seen. It kind of looks like a big peripheral blood vessel. But tell me, what is the significance for you? Well, it's a personal story. I was in my fellowship, my ultrasound fellowship, and I had some some of my directors and some other people scanning my neck, and they were actually looking for the vertebral arteries. And I'll never forget the look on their face. They suddenly like gets, you know, we're we're having fun. They're showing anatomy. I can see the screen, and then suddenly they look at me and they all, they get kind of quiet. I hear them almost they almost whisper to one another, "Is that a flap?" <laughs> And then I was like, what? What are you seeing? I can't I can't quite see the screen enough. You know, then they're like, ah, it's probably nothing. Ever since then, I'm always just just waiting for something weird to happen. 
with my uh, vertebral artery circulation. This is a fascinating application. So aside from scaring people, it actually seems like it could be clinically useful. I mean, if you think about the vertebral arteries, we worry about these in a lot of cervical spine trauma. A lot of times if they have bad cervical fractures, we're going to add on that CT angiography to make sure that there's not a significant vascular injury associated. And that seems to be a pretty good system. Get the CTA. This imaging is pretty good for looking for injuries. But these authors were not satisfied with that. They said, hey, we know that you can see the vertebral artery on ultrasound. Maybe we can use it in these patients with cervical trauma. And it doesn't look like anyone has investigated this before. So they're seeing maybe if we compare the ultrasound to the standard of CTA, we can find out how accurate it is. So the question that they're asking in this study is what is the diagnostic accuracy of ultrasound for injuries to vertebral arteries in patients with cervical spine trauma compared to that CT angiography? I love it. I mean, that would be huge, right? I mean, for multiple reasons. There's sometimes where patients, you know, believe it or not, you know, like there's some patients that have a, a crazy high creatinine and, and they can't get a CTA. You know, who knows if contrast-induced nephropathy actually exists? I don't think it does. But, you know, radiologists might not allow the scan. And there's actually transporting patients and the time it takes. So it'd be sweet if we could just diagnose this at the bedside. It's a curious idea. Let's see what they did. So the patients, this is how they performed this study. They took anybody that came into the emergency department with cervical spine injury, a known cervical spine injury. They had to be transported from an ambulance or a helicopter. They couldn't just walk in. And then they had to have the standard of the CT angiography. And these were consecutive patients that were coming in to this single center in Japan. They all had the ultrasound performed that same day and they all received the CTAs. The primary outcome was just the agreement between the ultrasound and the CTA. And they made it a binary, is there a vertebral artery occlusion or is there not? So yes or no for the sake of their analysis. So who did the scan and can you describe the scan a little bit for us, Jalen? Perfect. Yes, I'd love to. So what they did was, is they had a single operator, which get this, Mike, it was an orthopedic spine surgeon, which that just gives me so much joy, right? It gives me so much like, like just happiness that an orthodoc is, is, you know, outside of the typical realm of POCUS. One of our orthopedic colleagues is identifying something, uh, an application of POCUS that is useful to their practice. You know, I will admit it doesn't say anything about the, the training of the sonographer or the experience. Like with any small, relatively superficial and especially vascular structure, the linear probe is the best one to use and they use the linear probe. Now, as far as uh, placement on the patient, patients were super pine for this and they had no cervical collars on. So what they did is they looked for vertebral arteries. They searched for them at C4 through C7 levels on both sides. They used color Doppler to kind of assist. Now their whole technique for finding this, I, I like, it's very descriptive. They put the probe at the medial border of the SEM, find the common carotid artery, which is something that I think is I think most of us can find that, right? Common carotid artery. They looked in the long axis, which was interesting. And then they swept laterally until they saw the vertebral artery. They say they were able to identify the C6 vertebrae because it is the lowest cervical vertebrae that houses the vertebral artery within its location, which is the transverse foramen. Um, now, the reason I say it's kind of like interesting is because for me, using a long axis approach to identify the presence of a structure is much harder than identifying the presence of a structure in its short axis and then rotating into the long axis because the, the vert, like it's it's kind of small and narrow and be very difficult for me to get it perfectly in its long axis the whole time. So that's kind of like my one kind of like thought on this, but it 
seems like it worked for them. And then of course, what they were looking at, it was basically binary. It was, was there a complete obstruction or not? Meaning was there good color flow in it or was there not good color flow in it? There's so many key points in what you described as well, because some of the discussion that we'll have about this article is actually related to how they did the scan. So just to just to reiterate what she said, at C4 to C7, that's the only levels we saw, C4 to C7. That's not all of the cervical levels, just in case you didn't notice that. What we're looking for is that long axis view of the vertebral arteries. And if you look at the figures in this article, you'll see it's like a segment of artery, then it's like a bone, then it's a segment of artery, then it's another bone. You are looking... If you were to do this, you're just putting the color on and you're looking. If there's flow, not completely obstructed, then you're done. They ended up having 50 scans. And I'll say scans because it was actually only 25 patients and they each had two vertebral arteries. 76% male, mean age around 60, and 12% incidence of pathology here. So 12% occluded vertebral arteries. Which is a lot, by the way. Like, I, I know we're going to talk about this, but like, I, that's not my experience with trauma patients. Like, 12% have occluded arteries. That's crazy. That's a good point. And it must be somehow related to their inclusion. I think because these were transported by medics and had a known cervical injury. Yeah, they had stuff going on. So primary outcome was agreement between the ultrasound and the CTA. And the answer is 98% agreement. Pretty high. And they they calculated out a Cohen's Kappa index of 0.92, which is also very strong. Pretty impressive so far. And I think they even broke it down into test characteristics. Can you go through those for us, Jalen? They found that they had a sensitivity of 100%, which is amazing. I mean, that's what we want. We want a high sensitivity test. Specificity of 97.7%, positive predictive value of 85.7, and a negative predictive value of 100%. What this means is it means that they had one false positive out of all of the 50 vertebral arteries that they scanned. Now, they did look at the case and they said that there was, uh, it was one where the left vertebral artery was like super super small, like it was less than 50% of the diameter of the right. So it just means it was like tiny and tiny things. Sometimes we have a hard time seeing with ultrasound, especially with our bedside um, ultrasound. I love when they explain what they got wrong and why, and there's some logical explanation for that. And in this case, we could take it both ways. You could say, oh, you know, that's not really fair. That one vessel was super small, so they probably could have got it if it was normal. But on the other hand, we got to keep in mind, this is a small population. So if we extrapolate this to hundreds and hundreds of people, Maybe that's not so uncommon. Maybe that's actually a flaw in this modality. So I think that's really valuable to know. I also was intrigued by this one thing they reported in their study that the right vertebral artery was usually larger than the left on people. I did a little bit of digging into this and it turns out that it's usually the opposite from what I could find, that the left is usually larger. And your next question would be, well, does that correlate with hand dominance, of course? And it turns out that it's not very conclusive. It, it doesn't seem to. This was a nice study. I thought some of the things they did well were enrolling these consecutive patients, decent incidence of the pathology. And if you look at this paper, they really do go through some specific cases and illustrate how the ultrasound was helpful and show you those findings. So that was nice to look at. Any limitations you can think of, Jalen? Yeah, I mean, it was the the patient sample. I mean, it's 25 patients and it took them 19 months to capture these 25 patients. So, I mean, I, I don't know, like, you know, we have really good accuracy for a very small subset of patients. It does, unfortunately, raise concerns about external validity. Is that would this still work with these numbers hold with a larger patient sample and in a different environment? That's something to think about. And also the question, another like thought is like the vertebral artery just in that area too. Like why are those like the places 
cases in which they've decided it's unclear and you'd imagine that there could be something a little lower, there could be something a bit higher that it might miss. They didn't really like comment on that. You know, it's something that we always got to keep in mind is that if you don't see it with the ultrasound, it doesn't mean that it's normal or abnormal. So if you don't see it, you can't comment it. And it, let's see if you see flow. You can't say there's no problems with the vertebral artery. You can just say that there's no problems at those levels. So I think that's an important consideration. It's it's not like all or nothing. Yeah, I agree with you entirely. That is what I think is the main limitation for me that prevents me from applying this clinically. Because if you're not quite excluding all of the injuries, that seems really worrisome when you're talking about like a vertebral artery injury. So the fact that it's not all levels and it's only picking up occlusive, completely occlusive injuries, that seems like a big blind spot for this modality and may be a problem in the future. So I think the main consideration for this is when would somebody try to use this modality? Perhaps if you don't have a CT, perhaps if you can't get a CT, maybe this is something you can you can turn to. But for right now, I think that there in many work environments, CT would probably still be the go-to test for this. So to summarize this, this was a prospective study of 50 vertebral arteries in patients with known cervical spine injuries, and a point-of-care ultrasound at the C4 to C7 levels had an excellent agreement with CT angiography, resulting in 100% sensitivity and 97.7 specificity for occlusion. The take-home points we put together for this article, in this small study, point-of-care ultrasound had high agreement with CT angiography for vertebral artery occlusion. And number two, there are concerning limitations, such as the ability to evaluate distal or non-occlusive injuries that prevent immediate implementation of this application. Thanks again for joining us for a wonderful gel podcast article review. If you want to find out more, you can always check out our show notes and our website at ultrasoundgel.org. Until then, we will talk to you later. More. More. Gel. More. Pressure. More. Mike, I'm worried about you. Are you okay? If you see, you know, some weird neurodeficits uh, while we're recording, just let me know.